Welcome to goldenblack.com's Saturday simulcast. I think it's the first time we've had the whole band together in a while, uh, which is nice with Tom Deanhart and Brian Newbert joining me, Alan Carpet, goldenblack.com. I want to thank the Union Club Hotel. Brian says it well in his stuff. You know, if they had, uh, where every place he goes, he said if they had hotel, Union Club there, he'd stay there. And well, why don't do they? Have- and why don't they? I, I get it. We we appreciate uh, Vicky and the whole gang there. I was there, not at the hotel, but uh, had a couple meetings this week at Leaps for coffee. You can also, by the way, uh, they are doing a promotion too to uh, to for for to vote for the Union Club as one of the top hotels in the Marriott program. So make sure you get a chance to do that if you're interested in supporting them. Uh, the restaurant's great, obviously the Eight Eleven, but also the Boiler Up Bar and Leaps Coffee. Even Mister Dean Hart is a coffee connoisseur. He might have. Yeah. Uh, might like that stuff as well. So I know he does, but uh, we appreciate them very much. And today, uh, three days before the Christmas uh, Christmas Day, and uh, obviously a, a big game last night and uh, a big game, at least in terms of a uh, 43-point win for Purdue. But Brian, you've outlined it well in your uh, rap video and your drive home uh, podcast. But you know, looking at it and that on where you are. We write yes. stuff on our website too, by the you way. You do, you do, and you wrote the takeaways with the rap video, which making was sure very people easy. know that. And Mike Carmen also wrote something. And uh, while we're at it, too, yes, you can still subscribe. We still have specials going on. We would like you to do that. We've had a very good response to the holiday uh, program, and uh, there are still special offers on there to subscribe. You can get gift subscriptions as well. So while you're at it, uh, think about that. But uh, no, I, I, Brian, you know, the things that you wrote and also talked about last night, uh, I thought one of the things that was good is that Produce attention to detail, only nine turnovers in a game that was a little, you know, it was a little scraggly at times, but also fun to watch with what 13 dunks, I think, all told. And Will Berg, the most productive uh, player in Purdue history, and is so far in terms of uh, maybe not, maybe not quite, but he's been unbelievable. But just now, the day after, and I know you're working on your pond further review if it's not posted, uh, but what, uh, what, uh, what do you see after 12, 14 hours after this game's been over? Well, I it's kind of one of those games where it would be human nature just to phone it in, you know, and, uh, you know, come out really rough around the edges and, yeah. you know, struggle longer than, you know, the, the imbalance, the competitive imbalance between the two teams would suggest you should struggle. You saw what happened to Indiana earlier in the week against Moorhead State. You saw what happened to Maryland that same night against Nichols State, both home games both buy games that you are basically paying for a win. And both of those teams had to fight like hell to win those games. Uh, Indiana came down to the final possession with Moorhead State. And uh, I think Purdue's graduated out of that. I think they're I think they're too good. I think their winning infrastructure is too overwhelming uh, for that sort of thing to happen. But also I think they're too they're too mature. I I I think they're really thick skinned because of what's happened to them the last couple of marches that I, I just, I just think they're past that as a team. And, um, you know, they're rallying cry for lack of a better term around these games is this is who we've lost to in March. And that may or may not even be true because I don't think Jacksonville is that team, but whatever you got to do to stay up for these games, to, to be focused for these games. And I thought, you know, there was a lull 
in the middle yeah. of the first half. But I think Purdue came mm-hmm. out really sharp, and the, the final score ended up where you expected the final score to be. Now, part of that is the fact that, you know, you bring in Will Berg, and he every <laughs> single time he scores eight points in 90 seconds. But um, that's beyond the point. I, th- I thought Purdue was pretty sharp yesterday. I thought um, – it was everything you wanted to see, and then some from from Purdue. Yeah, it uh, very much the case on that front. I think you predicted a hundred to sixty on your. No, no, no. I was I predicted a hundred and one to fifty eight. Oh, okay. Hundred to fifty seven. Right. So I missed by one point on each side. Mm. But that's the great fallacy of all that. People think I put thought into that. I just picked numbers. <laughs> The I line was say, 32 and a half. I looked that up. I, I have no idea what the line ever is. I don't take that in, into consideration. I just yeah, no, I know. pick a couple numbers. I, I think Purdue's going to win this game by 40 points. Uh, so I assign them a number and then I subtract 40 and assign that number to the other. <laughs> other to the Very other scientific. Team. Very scientific. Tom, I, you know, you, you'll go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. No, I, I, I think I've hit it on the pretty much on the screws twice, but it's it's not skill. As much as I'd like to take credit for that, it's not skill. It's simply luck. Yeah. Uh, the whole notion of Tom and I were both in the stands last night, apparently sitting in the same section that we didn't see each other, uh, which is an indictment of some of some kind. Tom, we've been going to games there. And, and, and one thing that's impressive to me um, uh, is and this is no surprise, I guess, because where Purdue basketball is, but the, the unbelievable crowds. I mean, it, that, yeah. you know, used to be back in the day, I understand, even not all that long ago, that those those holiday breaks, they'd have to go like crazy to sell these games out. Now it is wall-to-wall people. Uh, your impressions, Tom, just on that and, and, and how, you know, we're, we're, we're not covering it like Brian is, but uh, certainly experiencing it. Uh, it's, it's, it is that level of, uh, maturity and, or, or not maturity, but the program's maturity has uh, reached a, it's at a new level and it continues to get better. It seems. Yeah. Boy, uh, halcyon days. And, um, yeah, we've seen some good basketball programs, some great support over the years, but you're right, Alan, um, Seems to be at a whole other level this year. You know, having the National Player of the Year back, such a unique circumstance, too. A real true superstar. And I think that's got to play a big part of it. And just a likable team, too, right? A yeah, likable yeah, coach. No and I think that that plays in, too. So, yeah, and, and uh, it's, it, like I said, um, uh, the environment over there, what they've done, the evolution of all that, what the, the people over in Macarena and along Northwestern Avenue have done to really enhance the environment, too kind of takes things up to a whole nother level. Um, uh, when you look back over the last 20 or 30 years ago, what you said, the pep band, <laughs> that was basically it, right? But anyway, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun watching those guys. I remember Brian, I don't know, maybe we were just talking off the cuff one other point about the team this year. He, I think he remarked, Brian, that he said, he said Braden Smith was probably the best point guard in the Big Ten. And I, I think your assessment's probably spot on. I mean, that, you know, you just again your thoughts on um this team moving forward. There's been an awful lot of good, but I guess you always wonder um if you had to maybe button up a couple issues on this team. Um, what do you think it is the Boilers should still focus on and, and need to enhance here as as we get deeper into winter? Yeah, just a quick thought first on the on the environment yesterday. That was, I mean, it it, it was floor to ceiling. Yeah. Once again, this was a holiday game. The students got out of school yesterday and. uh it was like the high everybody school had, students, yeah. Purdue students were gone last week, but yeah, go ahead. Yes, the Purdue students are gone. Um, that's what I meant. Um, yeah, I thought it was 
I, I have my academic calendar mixed up in my head. <laughs> um, I'm protracting my daughter onto every student <laughs> of any kind in Tippecanoe yeah. County. No, um, so uh, it, it was like everybody at that game was at every game this year because all of the all of the stuff was in unison. It was like the same crowd has been at every game this year, and uh, I didn't see any empty seats. Uh, no. Normally this time of year, you know, it's, 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 uh, there's a couple of no shows. People have Christmas shopping to do. People have holiday parties to go to. People just don't go. Sometimes the weather's not great. Um, but it was the opposite yesterday. You would have thought yesterday it was a Big Ten game and it was a 6 30 yeah. start. Yeah. And they were all there too, they, right? They started a half hour earlier than normal and everybody was there by 6 15. Yeah, it was. I mean, it it just speaks volumes to the culture around this program, and I keep saying this, and I keep having to qualify it with the elephant in the room. But yes, Purdue needs to win in March. But when you look at what they've done in the non-conference season, when you look at the support, when you look at the home floor environment, this is the body of work of an elite program. And um, but yes, I I have to qualify everything I ever say that's positive yeah. with the the elephant in the room that is the the fact that um, they do have to validate things a little bit in the court of public opinion by, you know, having some additional March success after what's happened the last three years. Uh, never mind what happened before that, that uh, because that doesn't matter. It, as long as it's out of sight, out of mind, it doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, Tom's question was what has to fall in place for Purdue to basically have the season it's capable of having. Uh, you know, I, I think they're right on schedule. I think that Braden Smith has taken the step that I was telling people eight months ago he was going to take. Well, now all the national media swoops in like they just discovered the kid. Um, I think that um, I think that uh, you know Purdue needed to be a better shooting team this year, and you know so far so good. And it's not like they're shooting great against bad teams. The schedule was the greatest non-conference schedule in school history. If right. there's a tougher one in college basketball this year, I'll be damned if I know who it is. Um, they're shooting well. That obviously is something that can always bottom out on you at the wrong time. But there's no red flags there. I think top to bottom, Purdue shooting the ball well. I think they're taking the right shots. I think maybe Lance Jones, from a volume perspective, is is the one guy who who will level off in time and uh, you know settle in a little bit more. But he's new, right? I mean, that's part of what I'm I'm getting at with this team overall is that. I think the last two Novembers, you probably saw Purdue's peak in November or December. I think this year, I don't think you've seen Purdue's peak because this team was newer than people acknowledged when the season started. Yeah, they've got everybody back, but you're you're moving Trey Kaufman ran into the starting lineup. Um, you've got Lance Jones, who's a starter and one of your better players, who's brand new to the program. you got Miles Colvin and Camden Heidi coming in as newcomers who add an element that you did not have prior. This was a much newer team than I think people realized and uh that they went out that 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 they went out to Honolulu and and won that thing. That was a sign that you know Purdue is is way ahead of schedule. And I think as I said the last two Novembers, especially 2 years ago, I think Purdue peaked in the preseason. And uh, now I think there's still real upside to this team. Uh, I, I think Lance Jones is going to keep settling in. 
He's got to get better defending off the ball. He's got to, I, I think there's still a settling in period for him with his, his, his place in the hierarchy of, of, of shot taking and things like that. I think Miles Colvin, Camden, Heidi are going to keep getting better and better and better and crystallizing into really defined roles. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the, I think Trey Kaufman ran is, shown you what he's capable of doing it's just a matter of maybe getting him a little bit more uh involved one way or another without getting away from your bread and butter which is obviously Braden Smith and Zach Eady mm -hmm. I th think Fletcher Lawyer has has really played well lately um even when his scoring numbers haven't been what everybody wants them to be he's I think he's taken a modest step from last season uh I think he was really good last season uh I think the issue is turnovers I think that's that's the thing that every single game in high stakes games, at least, I think that's the thing that, you know, has already cost Purdue a game and is the thing that if you get careless or you get overly, overly confident or you get, you just want style points, you know, things like that, or your attention to detail just isn't what it needs to be. I think that's the thing that can get you beat. It probably has to happen in conjunction with something else, but nevertheless, when you look at, the, the situations where somebody has rallied it from a big deficit on Purdue, uh, be it Arizona, be it Marquette, or the game Purdue lost, Northwestern, it was turnovers. Uh, I just think that's something that, uh, you know, Braden Smith is a big part of it, but he, he that's something he needs to set a tone for this entire team with. You know, Zach Eady, obviously people are going to throw bodies at him, uh, and there are going to be games where things happen and whatnot, but I think that Purdue just taking care of the basketball, making great decisions, taking the right shots, just maintaining possessions is going to be the single biggest key to their season from here on out, provided the shooting just doesn't go to hell, which there's no reason to believe it will. I would agree with that. One thing about that statement of that it's it's turnovers in conjunction with something else. Even the Northwestern yeah. game, it was Boo Booey and a couple others shooting out the, I mean, playing out of their minds, and you know, and and, and making shots that they hadn't been making. Not Booey necessarily, but uh, some of the other guys in Northwestern's roster. Well, that, you know. that that's the other part of it is Purdue's got to be ready for all these mediocre teams in the Big Ten to play like they always yeah to play their absolute best game of the season against Purdue. Um, it's already happened once. Um, it's going to happen again uh, yeah. against somebody. And, and that's just, you know, you know, heavy lies the crown when you're number one and when you're the the obvious Big Ten front runner, you know, things like that. So Purdue's going to get some games where it's going to get pretty hairy. And that's where Purdue's maturity and its professionalism and its execution and its ability to take care of the basketball and do little stuff and things like that and really, really ride its, it, its assets is going to come into focus. I think, you know, you look at the Big Ten schedule and teams like Maryland that have not played as well as people thought they would. Michigan State, I know they beat Baylor. They looked a lot better. That, but you're right. Those are the kind of Indiana. Obviously, Indiana played Kansas to the wall, but then also barely could beat Moorhead State. Though I have to admit, when Moorhead State came into Mackey Arena, yeah, they, no they were impressive. They were decent, and they no were doubt. a dangerous team. A team you would want to play in that first game uh, of the tournament would be challenged. But my point is... Uh, yeah, there's going to be something there. There's going to be a team out there that uh, that uh, may have been underachieving or has their perfect night that against Purdue, and it'll be interesting to see. One other thing I thought yesterday, and you guys, I'm interested just on a, from a team dynamic standpoint, that was fascinating. 
somewhat fascinating to me. Uh, I was sitting sitting with the Newbert clan in the last four minutes of the game, and we were down there talking. But I'm watching those guys, the absolute end of the bench, run the offense, play like they're supposed to play. I I, I understand that you know the game gets ragtag, but I thought that was also kind of a further uh, uh, confirmation of just how well this program, how disciplined it is, how it does what it's supposed to do. Yeah, I know Will Berg had 100 dunks down the stretch, and and so did so did others. But I was just really impressed with the. I mean, Carson Barrett's been there for a long time; has done done good things, and but all the way on down the line, that uh, they still kind of played the same way uh, that they did at the end in a ragtag game that they do that the other guys, the mainstay stay guys, do that uh, uh, throughout the course of the game. Am I? Well, I am think I out- that. Yeah. I think that those guys at the end of the bench take things really seriously and they have yeah. to, I mean, that that's, that's your scout team and that that's the group that makes things better. But I think you got a bunch of coaches, kids. Uh, yeah. I think you have a bunch of former players, kids, you have guys who take basketball seriously and prepare like they're going to play and whose personalities are really good for this team. Carson Barrett's a good player. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of places in college basketball. He could be playing including a lot of these teams that have come into Mackey Arena for these bye games. He could be playing for these teams. And I don't mean just like on the team. I mean, like playing. He's a legitimately good player. And uh, I think he's going to be a real asset for Purdue one day when he's on their coaching staff in some capacity, because I think he's an absolute natural for it. He's a great teammate. I think Chase Martin's really good for this team. His personality seems to be very, very conducive to a pleasant locker room environment uh obviously he's got connections in basketball and kind of grew up around the game and uh you know i think will berg i i i don't know will berg from adam whatever that means uh <laughs> but people just say it um but he strikes me as a guy and I, i've have heard people talk about this is that you know he is kind of like Zach Eadie's just plaything in practice. He's there to get banged on, and he's what Matt Harms was to Caleb Swanigan years back when Harms was redshirting. And I don't think Will Berg has really been content with that. I think he wants to be something more. And obviously, that's not going to happen anytime soon because he's got the National Player of the Year in front of him. But I think when he gets out there, he wants to show that he's not just a practice guy. And... uh you know, I think he has shown himself to be a real prospect for Purdue long term. I mean, every time you go out there and you produce in consequence free time, I mean, you could just stand there and it wouldn't matter. Um, but he goes out there, he executes for a seven foot three guy. He he shows some explosiveness. He shows some mobility. He, he seems to try really hard. He's he's really established himself as a guy who I think, you know, Purdue's obviously yeah. got something to work with here and. I was always skeptical of him because I just figured Purdue can't keep hitting on these guys because when you take guys this big, the the batting average is normally probably pretty bad, and it was only a matter of time before Purdue just recruited a bad player. Um, and when he first got to campus, he was very limited, but he was also very out of shape because he moved from you know Sweden over here and hadn't been training for a while. And apparently this this bone spur – was like uh i'm trying to think of an analogy here uh when somebody's freed of something it just completely transforms them but this bone spur was apparently uh the worst bone spur in history and uh 
it's something that probably ought to be in the Smithsonian based on the way people talk about it. But uh, as soon as that thing came out of his foot, all of a sudden he, he, he was moving better. He was faster. He was quicker. And uh, it just changed him. And uh, I think that's been part of the way Purdue's been closing games too, is you have a guy here who's taking this stuff really seriously and is good, uh, is a good player and something Purdue can work with here in the future. But yeah, no, uh, I think those end of the bench guys have been really good for Purdue this season. And uh, that's part of a winning team and is those guys at the end of the bench who aren't playing or those guys who are playing, who aren't playing as much as they, they might otherwise be playing. And Purdue's got a bunch of those guys on this team too. And don't want to, don't want to deprive them of the credit here. They deserve when it's a harmonious environment and Purdue's winning the harmonious oh, environment is part of the reason Purdue's winning. And that, that's just a really good situation to be in. And, uh, something that, should endure this season as long as Purdue's winning. Now, when when things go sideways, that's the ultimate test of how this is going to go. But I don't see any red flags whatsoever in terms of the collective harmony of this team. All right, what's the parable or whatever? It's when the when the the bear gets the thorn taken out of his. It's a lion. His I think it's a lion. a lion. It's a lion, right? Lion, bear. You know, a whatever. bear might have <laughs> taken the thing out of his foot. I don't remember what animal. It was. No, it's a lion, right? And I, uh, yeah, but I don't remember uh, who removed it. I think he, I don't know, but somebody did, and it probably has, there's probably very little parallel, but I'm sure somebody's going to call us on that, but uh, we'll find out before the end of that, end of, end of not end of this, but Might have been uh, a somebody, ferret or something. It was, yeah. I don't know, but uh, I don't know. Wilberg's better without burn, bone spurs that we know that. And 12 years of Catholic school. You think I, you think I'd know this. <laughs> and Tom and I with that great West side education, it hasn't gotten me anywhere. So it has gotten us both somewhere. Um, Tom, we're going to switch a little bit here to, to, to uh, culture in Brian Walters trying to build that uh, with a with a good, very good class, at least from a ranking standpoint. I know on three had it at 32nd to uh, the other networks, maybe a little bit higher. But just your your notion of uh, the 25 person class and then and there's still some things to, that are going to continue to evolve. But what how do you felt feel Ryan Walters felt about the. Uh, not only, I mean, they always talk enthusiastically about their classes, but uh, deep down inside, uh, I think they were had to sound like they're pretty pleased to keep it is pretty well intact, and uh, and coming to West Lafayette, uh, some of them uh, here in a couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, uh, it really, I think, did a good job at least bolstering the offensive line, which is, I think, a, yeah. a real area they wanted to address, and they've added some good depth at least. It looks like at least depth, right? Yeah. Um, you're going to have three portal offensive linemen coming in. Um, I think the best of those three is going to be the kid from Ball State, Corey Stewart. Uh, I expect him to start, maybe at left tackle. And um, then on Wednesday, they signed six offensive linemen, four high school kids, and then uh, two junior college transfers. And add all up, guys, that's nine offensive linemen. Yeah. That can be brought in the fold here for 2024. And I think there's a chance maybe another portal lineman could come aboard too, maybe. Um, so, yeah, a lot of beef up front uh, to bolster depth, like I said. And uh, wide receivers got four wide outs. Um, I don't know if they have a true standout among those groups, but they got some bodies to work with there. They got one portal wide out, Cam Brown from UCLA. 
He's got one year of eligibility. And I think they're going to get one more portal wide receiver. Maybe they can get the kid from Wake Forest, Jamal Banks. If they could, that'd be a huge coup. But again, I expect one more portal wide out. And um, yeah, then you look at the always getting the quarterback, right? Marcos Davila. Yeah, he's he's the quarterback they got early. Those quarterbacks always commit early. He's a big guy. He's going to get here, like I said, in January. And and uh, heck, Booze already got his 2025 quarterback committed a while ago. <clears throat> Sawyer Anderson, another kid from Texas. So, yeah, I think overall um, they have to be fairly pleased uh, with what they brought in. Like I said, offensive line and the running backs. And also the, the secondary, that's probably the third position that really stood out, just the numbers they signed back there. Uh, Luke Williams from Illinois, a big-time guy a lot of people wanted. And then I think the, 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 the real cornerstone, the real, I guess, star, if you will, you want to call recruit a star is this Corey Beasley from LaSalle High School in Cincinnati. He's uh, the highest rated commit they've got, according to on three. Not the biggest guy in the world, but he he's going to bring an element of speed that has been sorely missing in the back end. Uh, uh, he's not going to get here early, but he could be special. And Beasley can help him as a punt returner as well. And I was talking to some coaches Wednesday. And there's sounds like there's a chance he's going to play on offense too. It was interesting when we got the press release before the Ryan Walters press conference. They listed Beasley just as an athlete, um, but again, he's a safety really by trade and a guy who can fill a lot of roles for him and a guy people should certainly want to keep a watch on here moving forward. Yeah, I think so. And uh, and uh, you know, Brian, I'm going to ask you after I like to have you explain in Droccoli's, but I think you're right. Uh, <laughs> you did find about the I line that just I just looked it up. Anthropos I know you. You and Tom was a slave. Very... He was a slave who came upon a a, a struggling lion and yeah re re rescued the lion despite his fear of being eaten by the lion. And then they, uh, I think, <laughs> as the story goes, they went on to share adventures together. And who and doesn't Will like Berg, adventures? Who doesn't like adventures? Zach, maybe Zach Eady and Will Berg. You know, he's gonna he's gonna follow in his footsteps. Brian, Brian, we've had, we've had. Um, uh, and I think Tom's point is it, 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 we've had some discussion that we had discussion at lunch yesterday at our at our wonderful sponsor Ripple about the importance of recruiting classes and high school recruiting classes in this world of transfer portal. I got the sense and I'm watching and Tom's a heck of a lot closer to watching Ryan Walters and his body language and how he handles things. But I do think he's took some. You, you got to take pride in your class anyway, by, 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 by design, but I sense he had a little bit more of a, uh, there was something about the way he talked about his class that to, I don't know if it put more importance to it. Obviously the transfer portal is going to be a big issue, but he still seems to be a guy that is trying to build a foundation in a sometimes rudderless world of college football. How do you, how do you, how did you observe it? And you at, not only at the press conference, but just looking at the landscape. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, coaches are going to always say that high school sure. import, high school recruiting is really important. But the reality of it is that, you know, as I wrote in my column the other day, of the 2,000 kids or whatever it is who probably signed Division One, probably more than that, 2,500, 3,000, you know, you're going to see thousands of these guys at some point Great. in the portal. And a lot of them in like eight months. Um but you still have to go try to sign the best players you can, and then you got to try to retain them. And uh, but I think the portal is more important nowadays than the high school ranks are. Uh, it's just it, it's important to get. If I'm being realistic about this, 
get six to eight guys every high school recruiting class that you can develop, you can hold on to, get the Dylan Thienemans of the world, get the, you know, whoever it would have been from this past season, hold on to them, develop them, make those guys a big part of your culture, make those guys a big part of your program. They will represent the continuity within your program, which I still think matters. Mm -hmm. Um, So you get six guys per recruiting class, six to eight guys over four classes, five classes, whatever that is. That's the bulk of your roster. And then you pick and choose thereafter from the portal. And uh, you just trade your rank and file every year for somebody else's rank and file. And uh, that's probably the way it's going to go at a place like Purdue, where um, you are going to be hard-pressed to get the best of the best uh, transfers every year. But you can, if you can identify the right kind of middle of the pack sorts of guys who can be in your program for either make an immediate impact for one year or be in your program for two or three years and you'll become something more than they might look in the very little frame of reference you have when you recruit them, great. Uh, I think what people don't realize too about the transfer market is that everybody looks at it like it's all about immediate need. You got to get a guy who can play left tackle for you right now. But every program still needs sophomores and juniors. So these guys like Joey Tanona, who you ha- you're going to have in your program for a few years, and you can work with them, that matters. That really matters, uh, too, because you got to have players on your team. It can't all be freshmen and seniors. Um, and uh, I think the teams that do the best job identifying somebody else's departing freshman or somebody else's departing redshirt freshman or departing sophomore, I think there's real value in that, too. Now, how you do that, that's why coaches get paid so much, is because if a guy didn't play at Ole Miss or a guy didn't play at uh, Michigan State, how the hell do you know what they can do? Uh, Unless you're just taking somebody's word for it, unless you really, really recruited the hell out of that Mm -hmm. kid and then paid attention to what was going on, or there's some sort of circumstance that you think, you know, held him back, but um, but also anytime you can get like a first team all Mac player like Purdue did and Corey Stewart, I think that that's a good deal because mm-hmm. I think those, the, those lower level guys moving up are a little extra motivated. Um, this is kind of their big shot. This is their big shot to play pre- professionally. This is their big shot to be on national TV for the first time in their careers. This is their first and only opportunity to make NIL money, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, I, I, I think that's still. Uh, a big part of where you need to go too. Now, all these guys get over recruited too. I don't know what Corey Stewart in particular's picture was, but um, you know, we saw this years ago when the graduate transfer became a thing. Your best ab- ability is is availability, and uh, um, I think that these guys probably get recruited at a level that maybe there's an imbalance between the interest they draw and their actual body of work at the places they're coming from. But that's just, that's just kind of part of it. But I, I think on paper, Purdue did really well so far in the transfer market. Now you got to get receivers. I mean, somebody has got to catch a damn ball and you have to make sure that this Hudson card window uh, you have here is maximized. And uh, you can't do that. if Nobody can catch the ball. Uh, I think Purdue's receiver play this past year left much to be desired and I think that um, held the offense back in certain instances, that's got to get fixed uh, one way or another. And uh, that's 
you know, Tom can speak to this more than I can, but that's, that's the, that's the next part of this here. Yeah. There's still some of those. What did you even ask me? Yeah. I don't know. What What did you even ask me? I just talked (laughs) for like 10 minutes. No, I I asked about uh, just the, the whole notion of how the importance of, of high school recruiting versus portal and and yeah. uh, it is important, that. but it's less important than ever before. But that yeah. doesn't mean it's it, it's not important. Tom, okay. your chance, Move yeah, on. Tom, yeah, and I think your your chance to be around the assistant coaches a little bit and and just in terms about Purdue's ability to sell the product and that calls that also means getting portal guys in here. Ryan Walters obviously has a personality. Uh, maybe you can speak a little bit about some of the some of the assistant coaches that uh, just the environment of mound recruiting and, and their 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 emphasis on it. I mean, they you have to give them some credit that the, the numbers, at least if you look at the rankings, considering where Purdue has been in the marketplace, uh, is is pretty impressive in terms of what what kind of class they were able to bring in. But uh, you've been around them a little bit, sales guys, guys that uh, just uh, Good uh, nuts and bolts football guys are going to attract kids. What what uh, what do you see from that standpoint? Um, it's, it's a relatively young staff, so I think they connect pretty well with these recruits, yeah. which certainly helps on the visits, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, they've certainly tried to cultivate a, I guess, a youthful, exciting, energetic vibe, a very player friendly vibe. Yeah. Um, from what I can gather, so that that's got to resonate with the the eight, 17, 18 year old kids that they're recruiting. And, and, but, you know, long story short, people want to play, they want to be developed. They all think they can play in the NFL. I think those things matter too. And, and uh, I think Ryan Walter's background on defense, especially in the secondary certainly helped them attract some very, very uh, intriguing uh, players here in this 2024 class. And certainly, you know, remember last year, guys, they had a pretty short window um, to try yeah. to get a class together. They had to secure the commitments they had, and then they had to go out. They didn't even have a press conference last December, and they yeah. had their right. presser in February. So went out and signed a few more guys to sort of fill out that class. So it was basically put together on the fly. Even the portal, too, they didn't have the kind of money they have this year, too, so they were a little hamstrung shopping out of the portal and still got some productive guys. So uh, you get the sense now, you know, we saw the fruits of being able to work 12 months in advance, what they were able to do in high school, saw the fruits of a more robust collective what that can get them in the portal and um yeah so i think there, there's, there's, there's obviously a very overall positive energy and, and and vibe again coming out of uh coming out of the old Kozich football performance complex uh the challenges are many you know you guys know that look at that schedule for next year i think yeah oregon penn state and notre dame are three of the teams coming to west lafayette and that's just a start right so uh, it's going to be a brave new world in the Big Ten in 2024 with 18 teams, right? And <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no divisions. Everybody lined up one to 18. Uh, you, you better have a pretty solid roster if you want to try to stay relevant in the Big Ten moving forward here. Yeah, and then, of course, you throw in Ohio games, road games at Ohio State and Oregon State as well. I mean, it's yeah. uh, it's daunting. All right, uh, since this will likely be our last simulcast of the year, Brian, I want you to – you're not. it's not Androcles. I think it's Nostradamus or whoever was predicting the future. Uh, uh, I know you're not gearing a team in national championship for Matt Painter and company, but uh, – what will be is is obviously the 2024 NCAA tournament is going to be one of the big storylines. But what if you look ahead to the next year, 
outside of uh, getting on a plane and go to Maryland and Nebraska the first two weeks of the year of the year. What what are some of those things that uh, that intrigue you about uh, what you'll see in 2024? And Tom, you get to prepare after this. I'm going to turn around and ask you the same question. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I just think Purdue's got to take it one day at a time. I mean, you can't just fast forward ahead to the NCAA tournament as much as right. fans and national media and whatnot want to talk about that. And we'll talk about that. And Twitter reply guys, every single tweet about Purdue is going to have people on there trolling. But I, you, you just got to worry about the Big Ten first. And to have a team like this, if you don't win the Big Ten, that would be something uh, lamentable, uh, if that's a word. Um but then I think, you know, as I've said ever since the end of last season, like last season wasn't Purdue shot. This yeah. season is Purdue shot uh, because you have older guards who've been through it. Uh, now, I didn't know right away after last season that Zach Eady would be back. But um, now that you've got Eady and you've got a higher ceiling team that I think is still getting better and you've got older guards. Now, when I say older guards – not as old as what Purdue will see in the NCAA tournament because, you know, between the transfer portal and COVID years still, you've still got people running out 24, 25-year-old guards, and Purdue's already lost to one this season. Um, I look forward to the day when college basketball is again played by kids and not um, not grown-ups. But um, I think Purdue is in great shape come March. Uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of season left. You know, Purdue's got to stay healthy. Purdue's got to keep getting better. I think that's the most important part of the rest of the season is that Purdue keeps getting better um, and keeps kind of settling into this relatively new uh, mix they have. And But for as new as that mix is, what more could you have done in November or December than you did? Uh, you lost one game in double overtime. Um on the road in the Big Ten that you should have won, but you didn't. So maybe that's out of Purdue's system. But I think that Purdue's got as good a shot as anybody. And I predicted before the season they'd make the Final Four. And I don't see any reason to, to retract that at this point. I, I I think they're the best team in college basketball. And I still think they're getting better, as I keep saying over and over again. Um, so that's – I don't know if that answers your question, but um, well, that's it's going to come, yeah. come down to like – as I always say this about Big Ten races, like it's not beating Michigan State on Sunday afternoon on CBS. It's not not showing up at Nebraska on a Wednesday night, uh, you know, things like that. But you've seen no red flags from Purdue. I mean, all of these bye games they've played, they've taken care of business. They, they've throttled those teams as they should. You have an overmatched team against Xavier coming in, uh, didn't mess around. Uh, you know, obviously you weathered some really, really uh, difficult circumstances in Hawaii in terms of the the buzz saws you kind of ran into a couple times with, with Gonzaga and, uh, you know, some other people. And you obviously got buzzsawed to start the game at Alabama, showed enough wherewithal, enough maturity against a team full of adults, again, to, uh, you know, come back and win that game. And I, I just don't see many red flags with this team. Fair enough. All right, Tom, is football, it is going to be really an interesting storyline, not only spring ball, but also heading into a season where, you know, you after four wins, you, you, you'd like to get yourself 
back to six, seven wins. But you look at that schedule again, as you mentioned in your last answer, is it uh, that's going to be a heck of a challenge to even get to when you when you're going to be a decided underdog in at least four of those games and maybe five, and then you still have other teams uh, that are at your peer level that you're going to have to be able to beat. Uh, what is reasonable looking ahead, or what are you going to watch for, uh, that may show a sure sign of improvement in this program? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you got to get to a bowl next year, right? Yeah, you know, I think that was that was right there for the taking this last year. The September schedule just they didn't they didn't do a lot of people thought they were, they needed to do in, in September, um, taking care of business with all those home games. So, um, yeah, Alan, like you said, it's it's, it's going to be a challenge. I thought six and six. You know, seven and five last year, you know, would have been a reasonable expectation. I got to think that the range is probably going to be about the same this year. If they can get six, six wins, seven wins, in my eyes, that would that would be considered a success. Um, yeah. I think coming off this four and eight season, like I said, they've got to uh, they got to get to a, a, a bowl. They got to continue to show progress. And Ryan Walters has certainly been effusive in his praise of, of the fans for showing up this year, right? Yeah. Some of those crowds, away, that Minnesota crowd, you know, um, they certainly supported this team through a lot of a lot of thin this year in October, November. And I think they're they're really motivated to reward those fans for showing up. So and again, the best way to do it, we, we, you got to win. It's pretty simple. And and um, yeah, the pressure, I think the pressure starts now. Right. I think the honeymoon is, is certainly over. And uh, the timetable for turnarounds, as you guys know, it's. It's pretty much evaporated in, in, in college sports. Uh, we all want it now, and and if if, if you believe the, the players coming in, the, how the, how the roster is going to be improved, you got a veteran quarterback as well. Um, even if even though they're playing a daunting schedule, I think people are going to expect this team, like I said, to get to the postseason one way, shape, or form. So you got to figure out some way to uh, to get to, to six wins. But again, that non conference schedule, guys: Indiana State, Oregon State, Notre Dame. I mean. Certainly never does himself any favor in the non-conference, and uh, just makes that that much more challenging for whoever's coaching the Boilermakers. Yeah, going to be an interesting uh, in keeping that crowd. That uh, having Notre Dame at home is uh, for the first time in a long time, uh, dating back to 2013. Uh, I believe that's right. Uh, that uh, will make a big difference too, as, as the Fighting Irish come back to West Lafayette for the first time. Can I All say right, something guys. Real quick? Yeah, yeah, you may. Yeah, no, I, I just, I wrote this a couple of weeks ago, but um, I think that, you know, with the way these super conferences are going, at some point, might need to reassess the definition of success. Like, you're getting to a point with the Big Ten now, where half of these teams, and I'm thinking of. I'm including Purdue, but I'm not saying this is just Purdue. It's Illinois, it's Minnesota, it's, you know, Wisconsin and Iowa at risk, certainly Indiana, Northwestern. Like, how do you win eight games anymore in this league um, when you open up with five games on your schedule right off the bat that you are going to be significant underdogs in and who are almost always going to out-recruit you are almost always going to out-NIL you and things like that. And it's just, it's a really difficult landscape. Um, I don't, I'm not saying. Yeah, then, then how, how, how do you define success? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be hard. Well, success, I think the. Trying hard, trying hard. I, yeah, yeah. I think we need to get to the point where the Bulls can just do whatever the hell they want. And they can 
There's just, no real. Yeah, just, just everybody schedule a 13th game. It's kind of silly then. Well, the the, yeah. the TV networks are doing whatever the hell they want with college football anyway. So why not just let the Bulls just take a four-win Purdue team over a six-win Louisiana What's, Tech team? Like, and then you, you, you think you think people can go to – because they're going to a bowl and they're four and seven, that, that's going to be cool and successful. Well, that's the standard for success right now, isn't it? Like, yeah. if you go to a bowl, you've had a successful season. But at least um, you've gone six and six. Yeah. Well, hey, is I, six I, and six success. That's not a winning yeah. season. That that's yeah. that that's you. But that may be what they're going to get to. That's I mean, been the that's absurdity just, of all of this in college football yeah. the last few years. Like, just breaking even is that yeah. really success? Like, I mean, is the Little Caesars Bowl? Success is. Yeah, the, I guess you think. You, you, I guess you think four and seven is a success. So well, it, it yeah. long, success long, doesn't long, matter long, anymore. Long. TV ratings do, and TV money does. And well, somebody's somebody's got to win. Somebody's got to lose. Yeah, right. But if he look the at the NFL, look at the NFL. Somebody's got to win. Somebody's got to lose. Right. Yeah. Well, I think I think too. One thing that's going to change. It was will be interesting, and this can go for another conversation. But the fact that you you got twelve teams going to the playoff, and and I, I you have to wonder too is some of these some of these other bowls, what, what will happen to that? And, and where, you know, yes, if people still continue to watch between Christmas and New Year's, you'll continue to have them. But uh, I think the definition of it is going to be, is, is changing just because not only because of schedule, but because of, because of the 12 teams that are, are going to be in these playoffs of which, uh, yes, it'll be very, very difficult that Purdue will ever be, ever be in that conversation, but. I never in a million years ever would have thought I'd get emails from people saying that Purdue needs to get out of the Notre Dame series. Yeah. And I have because people are looking at these schedules and realizing that just what they're up against here. And uh, it's just kind of the nature of it nowadays. Six and six is now like contract extension time. That's like lifetime contract extension type of stuff at a place like Purdue, at a place like Illinois. I mean, shit. Hell. Stuff. Um, (laughs) Stuff. Uh, what chances Illinois have moving forward? What chances Minnesota have? Um, you are just cashing checks, and you know you're sort of becoming—I don't want to say you're becoming the buy games, but if you win five games against the schedule next year, you've succeeded. That's there's no question in my mind. You've succeeded. Now, are people generally going to look at that as success? I think they should. Um, but. They probably won't because there won't be a bowl game at the end of it. Um, yeah. You won't get to go to the Micron PC Bowl in in uh, uh, Glendale, Arizona, to play Marshall. Um, you know. Yeah, I think I think all of it's going to be you know be really interesting to see whether on the on that the whole definition of it it does come down to. You got to keep, we talked about this yesterday at lunch, that you have to keep people coming to games and you got to keep competitive balance somehow. And all those factors are going to be, uh, are going to be storylines to watch in 2024, to say the least, and whether Purdue can start to to take that step. Uh, uh, and I agree that, you know, like Tom, we're talking about the whole notion if you, you had a chance this year to win six or seven games, no question. Uh, they didn't. And yet that margin for error is, uh, is razor thin sometimes so uh agreed all right guys we're gonna put a close to this i think we 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 have a we buy extended zoom here so we could go on for hours but uh we appreciate all of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of conversation today a lot of things to think about as we move ahead 
2024. I want to thank our sponsor, the Union Club Hotel and the Boiler Up Bar uh, and uh, Leap's Coffee and, of course, the 11 Bistro Restaurant. I want to thank also you, our, our viewers uh, and our people that, as Brian will point out, and Tom as well, that we do actually write things to people that, that uh, taking our information the way that they do. We appreciate uh, you as well. We're thankful for all of you and wish you the best, not only for uh, a Merry Christmas and, and Happy New Year, and however you celebrate the holidays, uh, do so safely. And and we're grateful for you because uh, we would not be who, are, who we are without uh, you, the uh, the reader, the subscriber, but also the folks that, uh, that uh, take in all of our uh, information. So again, thanks again to all. Have a great holiday, all and uh, we'll see you on the backside or the front side, I should say, of 2024. There'll be a lot going on uh, that as uh, Purdue men's basketball hits the hits the ground running uh, with that and Big Ten play. Illinois that first uh, weekend as well, coming to Mackey Arena on the 5th of January. So uh, have a great week, everyone. A great holiday, and we'll see you uh, in our next edition of Saturday Simulcast. Mm.